0: Hey, friends and fam, it's John, and it's time for the j Cast for Monday, June 12th. What's going on? How are you? Thanks for joining me on another podcast episode, another late one. The excuse this week is that I got infected by a virus. I forget what the name of it is, Um, but it results in hand, foot, mouth, which is what my kids have and which is what I have now as well. Well, I don't know if you can call what I have hand, foot, mouth. I've just been feeling really tired for the last couple of days. My kids have the more typical presentation with like the red dots and everything and lesions. Koksaki virus, by the way, That's, that's the name of the virus that leads to hand, foot, and mouth disease. And funny enough, this week on Tuesday was the first day we tried taking my daughter to one-and-a-half-year-old daughter to daycare, and she spent two hours there. She came back, and the next day, she had it. (laughs) And then a day after that, my son had it, and then a day after that, I had it. (laughs) But somehow my wife has the rock star immune system, and she's completely unfazed by it and feeling totally fine. That's what you get for being an ER doctor and constantly facing people with different things and challenging your immune system all the time. then you're just finally tuned and able to take on something so weak as Coxsackie virus, something that I can succumb to very easily. (laughs) Actually, I said that I got sick the day after my son, but that's not true. I really didn't feel the symptoms till Sunday because I thought I was fine, and then on Sunday, I went to my jiu-jitsu Sunday roll. The kids had been sick for a few days, and I was up until then symptomless and feeling completely fine, so I thought it would be fine. So I went and did four rolls at the Sunday open mat, and after the first one, I was already so gassed that I, I can't believe I even did it three more times. That was ridiculous. I should have definitely stopped after this, <laughs> the second one probably, um... But yeah, it normally, you know, it is a thing that you get tired when you do jujitsu, but not nearly as bad as I, how bad I felt after that open mat. And I just left early, but that feeling of lethargy and fatigue just stayed with me the whole day and into the next day, which is today, Monday. So hopefully I didn't infect anybody, but yeah, I was, I mean, I even, I not that I think about it, the day before on Saturday, I felt really good. I went for an 11 kilometer run at a fairly decent pace, one of the faster paces I've run so far. And I felt pretty good doing it. That was the longest distance I'd done so far into my training. And also, like I already said, it was one of the faster paces and it really felt effortless to me. So I was really surprised that, you know, that one day I had an effortless run and the next day I do five minutes of jiu-jitsu and I feel so tired that I, I feel miserable. It doesn't happen like that normally. So anyway, one thing I wanted to mention earlier this week, before we figured out that this was the Coxsackie virus uh, on Thursday, this was my daughter had just gotten um, the red spots and we weren't sure what it was because sometimes she does get rashes every once in a while. And then... Late Thursday is when my son started to develop the same spots and we clued in. But right before that, I had gone to a yoga class that I really enjoyed, actually. Um, It's an old friend of mine who's the yoga instructor who is Brazilian. And she had left to go back to Brazil. But now she's back to Canada and restarting her yoga class and just wanted to support a friend. And I do really enjoy her classes. So I went to it. By the way, it's happening every Thursday at 6 p.m. on the west end of Toronto. Um, if you look up on Instagram, Lou and Gabrielle Yoga, spelled L-U, and then the rest is how you would expect, like and like all. And, and then Gab- Gabriel like Gabriel, yoga like yoga. It's all pretty straightforward. Look up Lou and Gabriel Yoga, all one word. You'll find her right on Instagram, the... Let me see if I can find the exact details of the class. It's at 100 Symes Road, $30 per class. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Yeah, uh, it's a great class. I really enjoyed it. Check it out. What I really enjoyed about it this week was the um, importance of balance. There was a big emphasis on balancing on one leg. And I just think this is such an important part of overall health, well-being, athleticism, just overall access to the capacity that your body has. When you are in balance, you have more access to, whether it be your strength, your flexibility, agility, whatever it is, you can perform and express that character trait more fully when you're in balance than when you're not. And, you know, in traditional strength and conditioning, it's something that's only just barely um addressed it's addressed a little bit with unilateral exercises like lunges and split squats where you know both legs are not doing the exact same thing but there's and then you know there's a few um like calisthenic exercises where you're doing like pistol squats or dragon squats or whatnot but it's it's really not ingrained into the culture to think about uh how to balance on one foot but i think if you Make it a priority for yourself. It can be one of these foundational things that's a force multiplier that can take the other things you're doing and improve those as well. And ultimately, that's what I'm looking for is what is the things that I can find and get good at that's going to help me get good at all the other things I'm already doing. So if you're like me and you also want to you know, spend your time working on things related to health and fitness that helps all the other aspects of it, then spend time balancing. And the best ever cue related to balance that I know of is head over foot. If you're practicing single leg balance, whatever you're doing, always think about having your head in a position that's directly over the foot. And if you can picture that and try to maintain that for as long as possible, you will have a better balance. And if you want... an exercise to work on that will help improve your balance try doing a single leg balance first do it with your eyes open and work up to being able to hold it very stable for 30 seconds on both sides just that alone is is good enough and then after that work on doing the exact same thing now with the eyes closed and it'll be a lot harder and you will have to rely more on your proprioceptive sense, which is your sense of where you are in space without the visual cues. And at first, it's going to be really hard and impossible, really. But with practice, that proprioceptive sense will become uh, better and just you will have a better sense of understanding of how to move your body in space in order to regain your balance because ultimately that's what balance is you're not actually staying in balance you're constantly falling out of balance and then readjusting to get back to it but as soon as you're in balance right away the cycle repeats and you come out of balance and you must readjust again so yeah there you go if you want better expression of all your other physical attributes then work on balance and see how far you can take it. By the way, another, um, benefit of being better at balancing is you also get better at catching yourself when you're falling. And this is an important skill as we age because falling has serious consequences, right? There's a obviously huge risk of physical injury that could lead to like some sort of functional decline in what you're able to do with your body or some sort of long-term complication that is going to lead to, you know, whatever, like the increased healthcare costs, let's say, let alone any psychological impact that it might have on you, you know, so there's just no upside to falling and being good at balance is a key way of avoiding that. It's as simple as that. All right, that's the physical health advice of the week get better balance and then let's go on to doing a quick Bitcoin update and then we'll talk some financial health. So we're sitting on block height 794,120. One Bitcoin currently is trading for 25,952 US dollars and one US dollar will buy you 3,853 satoshis or sats for short. Remember one Bitcoin subdivides into 100 million sats. And you can support this podcast with as little as one sat by listening to it with a podcasting 2.0 app, which has Bitcoin and sats built right into the app. Examples include Fountain, Breeze, and Podverse. I like Fountain because as well as giving sats to people, you also receive a few back for just listening to podcasts. But yes, these apps, I already named them Fountain, Breeze, Podverse. Have the ability to send sats to the podcaster for every minute that you listen to that podcast that they published. Or you can also just do a what's called a boostagram, which is a one time value for value exchange using Bitcoin per episode attached to a short message. And if you write something with that boostagram, then I will certainly read it on the podcast. All right, that's it for the Bitcoin update. Short and sweet. Now, for financial advice, well, the financial advice every week is to buy Bitcoin, but why Bitcoin? Well, because Bitcoin has the potential to become the best money ever because of the fact that it's digital, programmable, and therefore has the characteristics that can make it the perfect money. So what characteristics does money need to have? To be able to service as a money, well, it needs to be scarce, that's the most important one, but then also divisible, durable, portable, verifiable. There might be one or two more that I'm missing, but those are the characteristics it needs to have. Those are the main ones in order to be a good form of money such that, so what is a good form of money? It is something that can that we can use to store our wealth in. It is something that we can use for as a medium of exchange. And we also use it as a unit of account to think how much something will cost based on the units of that money. So currently Bitcoin is not doing all three of those things. For some people it is, but for most people it is just a way to store value Some people are using it as a medium of exchange. Actually, that yoga class I went to, my yoga teacher was very gracious in accepting Bitcoin as payment for her class. So it was a medium of exchange for me to give that to my teacher and while she instructed me through that yoga class. But of course, she's the exception and not the rule. Most people don't actually use Bitcoin as a medium of exchange yet. Most people don't even use Bitcoin. It's just slowly being adopted. It's been... Only, what, 14 years that it's been around for. But as more merchants start to accept Bitcoin, it will become better as a medium of exchange. And then through that period, people will start to think of it as the unit of account. Right Right now, I just say it's a $30 yoga class because it's easy for you to imagine what $30 is and how much that is equivalent to. But eventually... If adoption continues at the current rate and more people use it as a store of value, more merchants start to accept it as a medium of exchange, people will start to think of what things are costing in Satoshis or Sats for short or Bitcoin. It's the same thing. It's a little bit annoying that there's two names for it, but it's just easier to think of it that way because there's only 21 million Bitcoin, right? It's a capped supply of 21 million, but each one can be subdivided 100 million times and then just that subunit is a Satoshi whatever it's not really that important what you call it it's more important what it is and so I guess I just wanted to spend just a few more minutes today explaining what Bitcoin is and maybe in a little bit more of a technical term because you know some a lot of times uncertainty is the ultimate killer because if you don't know what you're facing then you can just get paralyzed, right? It's, it could be really difficult to make an informed decision, so then that can lead to indecisiveness, which leads to delayed action, and then there's time wasted, which leads to stress and anxiety, and it's all bad. But the best way to fight it, just inform yourself. So I'm going to help you inform yourself about what is Bitcoin. Well, I already kind of said that it's got the potential to be the best money ever uh, invented or discovered, let's say. But I want to talk specifically about one of the components that makes up Bitcoin. It's not the most important one, but it's an interesting one. And I think it's one that, in my eyes, gives Bitcoin a little bit of credibility. Or a lot of credibility, actually. (laughs) All right, so it's called SHA-256. And SHA is an acronym that stands for Secure Hash Algorithm. And the 256 means there are 256 bits of information. So it is a widely used cryptographic hash function. So then the obvious next question is, what is a hash function? So a hash function is, it's a mathematical function. And it just basically takes an input, which could be, Text, numbers, any sort of message really. And then it can produce an output of fixed size string of characters. So in the SHA-256 case, it's 256 bits or ones and zeros. So in a row, 256 ones and zeros. So you can put any sort of data, any sort of message of any length into the SHA-256 function. And it will spit out an output, which is always the same length. 256 characters long of ones and zeros. So the interesting thing is SHA-256 is what's called deterministic. And what that means is that any given input will always produce the same output every time you run the function. However, if you change the input by even one bit of information, Let's say you wrote an essay and you ran it through the SHA-256 hash function and then you got one result and then you took that essay and you just added one point at the very end of the essay and you ran it through the same function. It would give you a completely different number that would be no in no way related to the first number. So then the next question is, is there a way to reverse that where you could find what the original input is that produces a specific hash value. And the answer to that is no, because SHA-256 was designed to be a one way function, which means that it should be impossible to reverse the process and find what the original input is from the hash value. Even if you brute forced it and basically tried every possible input until you found a match, it would take forever. It would take longer than the current age of the universe, so it's just not possible. All right, so where did this SHA-256 come from? It actually was developed by the U.S. National Security Agency, the NSA, and was published by their National Institute of Standards and Technology in 2001. So it's been around for 22 years. And the government uses it to ensure data integrity, they use it for secure password storage, they use it in digital signatures. Basically, all government communications are secured using this SHA-256 function. And then the last question I'll answer before I end the podcast is how does Bitcoin use SHA-256 and why is it important for Bitcoin? So in Bitcoin, SHA-256 is used in various ways, but one of the most important ones is for what is called proof of work. Now, I'm not going to explain exactly what proof of work is with regards to Bitcoin, but I will say that proof of work is the most important part of Bitcoin because it helps distribute and decentralize it so that it becomes an indestructible network. I'm not going to explain how it does that, but it does do it. It's just it would take too long. Another reason why proof of work is the most important aspect of Bitcoin is because that proof of work is what determines the rate at which new blocks are added to the blockchain and new Bitcoin is created. And it is what is going to ensure that Bitcoin is going to remain scarce and that there will only be 21 million. And like I already said, scarcity is the most important aspect for money to have. And lastly, proof of work requires a significant amount of computational power, which requires energy consumption. And so proof of work is the way that this digital thing, digital entity, Bitcoin, has a connection to the real world through proof of work, which requires computational power, which requires energy consumption. Without that anchoring to the real world of requiring energy consumption to create new Bitcoin, Bitcoin would not have any value whatsoever. It would be just like the paper money that we use today, which is only money or used as money because the government forces us to pay our taxes in it. All right. I think that's a good place to end this. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Please reach out if you have any further questions. Email me at jmartfit at substack.com. Reach out on social media at jmartfit on Twitter and Instagram. That's it. Have a great week. Stay active. Be grateful. Jmart out.